0: Let's pray and give thanks to our offering this morning. Father, we do thank you for the many abilities you give us. We thank you for your divine providence that often brings us opportunities for commerce, for work, for labor. I remember the uh, brother in Christ last week sharing his need for a job. We pray that that has come to fruition. And anyone else who needs work, Lord, that you would uh, allow them to find labor to provide for themselves and their families. But until they, that comes, Lord, help them to trust in You. Father, thank You for the health You give us, our families. Thank You for the wisdom and discernment You give us as we make decisions each and every day. And help us, Lord, to be humble and to have our hearts of gratitude and thanks, knowing that every good gift, every good gift comes down to the, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shifting shadow. We thank You for Your loving kindness to us, Jesus. And Lord, we ask that we would use the gifts that You have given us to give back to You and invest those treasures that they might produce fruit, yea, 30, 60, or 100-fold. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Malachi again. And uh, we will continue on in that, Malachi chapter 1, and we're going to look at the second part of Malachi's mirror, part 2. This was one of those sections that you get sometimes preaching that is too long for one sermon, Uh, but it all deals with the same topic, and it's Malachi's uh, words to the priest at that time. So let us give our attention to the reading of God's Word. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I then am a father, father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he might be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? "'For my name will be great among the nations,' says the Lord of hosts. "'But you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted, "'and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. "'But you say, what a weariness this is, "'and you snort at it,' says the Lord of hosts. "'You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, "'and this you bring as your offering. "'Shall I accept it from your hand?' says the Lord. "'Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock,' and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord, of Hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these eternal words, eternal and unchangeable, and written for our edification, for our deliverance from sin, and for what we are to renew our minds on. And so, Lord, help us to hear today. Lord, help me to preach today. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and do your work. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, uh, when Amber and I were on our honeymoon in Mexico, there was one place I had to visit during our stay. And that was the local stores. And you may be asking why. And the reason was simply this. I love hot sauce. I thoroughly enjoy hot sauces. And so when you go to Mexico, you must get some of the real deal. And so we went down there. Now maybe it's because my dad's from Louisiana, but I enjoy a good kick. And anyways, we went to this little Mexican store. Outside of Cancun, and there was this sweet Mexican lady who was there, and she took me to the rear of the store, and there beheld the mountain of hot sauces from the great nation of Mexico. And she thoroughly enjoyed me sample one after another as beads of sweat uh, was drooling down my face. Now, if you know about anything about hot sauces, they have names to communicate. The level of intensity of pain that you're about ready to experience. Some are quite humorous, others are a bit inappropriate, however there was one title that came to mind and sort of relates in some ways uh, to what God was feeling as he wrote uh, the people at Malachi's time. There was one hot sauce called Scorned Woman. <laughs> At the bottom of the bottle, it says this, that hell hath no fury like a scorned woman, a woman who had been done wrong. Now, there have been movies done about this topic. Some of you ladies might have experienced this at some season in your life, some deep anger that someone treated you badly or unjustly or irreverently. But I want you to see from this text is some of those same emotions that we often see from you ladies or from other women that we might know, was some of the deep emotions that God Himself was feeling. He felt scorned, profaned, treated with contempt. Before we get into this text, though, I just want to remind you of the three problems we saw last week with the priest's worship that was causing this scorning, this contempt that God was feeling. First of all, we looked at the problems that we, the priest wanted worship in their terms and not God's terms. We talked about the whole issue of the father-servant, the honor and the respect that should have been given to God, but wasn't been given to God. And he brings up the whole issue, try offering these offerings to your governor. Will he accept them? Obviously, the answer is no. A second problem we looked at last week was we give God much less than our best. And here we saw as the priests were coming before uh, God. they were bringing polluted sacrifices. They were given defiled animals. Animals that weren't honoring to God. And with that, they had a false sense of peace. In other words, they thought, hey, we'll be okay. At least we're going through the motions. We're doing what God wants. We're providing an animal. You know, we need, we need the better heifer for later on to have the meal later on. But this was a false peace. And it showed the priest's lack of obedience to follow God. The third problem we looked at was that we forget that God Himself is the motivation for worship. It was there that Malachi talked about that who He is, and remember that phrase he used, the Lord of hosts, the commander of God's armies, that we should worship Him. He should be our motivation But then there was two other problems that, as I said earlier, we just didn't have time to get into last week. And that was the fourth problem, and let me show it to you. It's in verses 12 and 13. Problem number four is, you profane the name of the Lord by despising His means of worship. Verses 12 and 13. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted. And its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, What a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord Host. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as an offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Malachi, God's messenger, is telling us that the priests are profaning it. And the question we need to ask is, What is the it? And I believe the it that it is referring to is God's name, His character, who He is. Now, a name is something important, isn't it? It's what we're identified by. It's what makes us unique or special that we sort of label that uniqueness because none of us are alike. All of us are different. Even identical twins are different in their personalities and characteristics, though they might look the same. But a name has real power. And to lose a name is a great humiliation. A number of years ago, when I worked at the University of South Carolina, I worked primarily with black college students. And many of them, as you know, had the last names of Smith, Roberts, O'Neill. And their uniqueness as Africans, as their heritage, was taken away from them. They were renamed. Well, during that time, I got the privilege to go on a missions trip and... As I went on this missions trip, I was the only Caucasian on the whole trip. Everybody else who was American was African-American. Now when we went, this was very unique, because in Nigeria they had gotten quite accustomed to seeing white missionaries like myself. What they weren't used to was seeing black missionaries come. And as a result, we had a tremendous opportunity for missions. During that time while we were there, our Nigerian hosts would talk to the students and my my fellow staff members. And as they would talk, they would look at their facial features. And in Nigeria, Nigeria is composed of of many different tribes. And people can tell what tribe you're from simply based on your facial features. And though many generations had passed, centuries had gone by, the Nigerians would look at our students or my my co-workers' faces and they would say, you look like you're from the Igbo tribe. Or you would look like... And then they would name another tribe. And on down the line. And they would explain. And the students would have such intense interest because for them, it was giving them the name they once had. And though they didn't know for certain, it was a great blessing for them to be tied back to where they came from, who they were, and what they represented. I believe in a way this story reminds me of God's charge towards the priests. It was their job to tell the people about who God was and what His name represented. In other words, who God was. And by offering profaned uh, sacrifices, they were profaning God's name. They were saying something about who God was, which He wasn't. You see where I'm going? They were displaying before these people something that was not true about God, and they were profaning His name. And not only did they profane it, the text says they despised it. Look with me. It says, you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. You see, they looked down on God's reputation. They despised what was offered there before Him. They didn't even care about it. In other words, their hearts were in some other places. Listen to these words that Moses charged uh, the priests. Leviticus 22, verse 2. Tell Aaron and his sons to treat with respect the sacred offerings the Israelites consecrate to me so that they will not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. And then a few verses later in verse 9, it goes on to say that the priests are to keep my requirements so that they do not become guilty and die for treating them with contempt. I am the Lord who makes them holy. You see, the great temptation, a great temptation for anyone who is in ministry, and I'm preaching to myself here, is that we can become callous with the holiness of God. It is a very real temptation because I get up here and I do this again and again. The elders deal with the affairs of the church again and again. The deacons deal with the affairs of service and finances with the church again and again. The female leaders of a church who read the, the, the Protestant women of chapel, or WIC, women in the church here in the pres- PCA, we can become callous with the very holy things that God entrusts us with. And I believe these priests have become callous. They have forgotten the very holiness that God called them to handle these sacred items with. If I come up here contemptuously and just haphazardly speak God's Word, that will trickle down to you in the pews. We see this in many of our churches right now. I'm reading a wonderful book, and I would encourage you to get it, called Christless Christianity. It's done by a guy named Michael Horton. And its, called, and its subtitle is Alternative Gospel of the American Church. And in it, he talks about how our churches are losing the very doctrine that makes us Christians. In other words, what matters is our self-esteem or our self-help book. This isn't seen as the Word of God, it is now the self-help book. And dear friends, that can happen very easily and it is happening in our church. But if we treat this with reverence and with awe and there's a reason why we 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 after we say after Dick reads the word of God this is the word of God this isn't the suggestions of God or the self-help or the improvements or something to uh give you chicken soup for the soul it is the real deal and is what we are to measure Ourselves by and so God is speaking directly to the priest and saying you have missed out you are showing contempt for my name and notice what goes on and said it. he's not done with the priest yet he says the priest would say what a burden you can almost hear the self-centeredness in this oh I got to go do it again oh, i got to go offer these sacrifices again. It's almost this, woe is me because I have to offer this mangled blind animal to God. Is he going to hear? He's not that far away. He, he doesn't really care. Why do I bother? You know, uh, those are real thoughts pastors can really have. Um, but the fact is that when you do ministry or when I... Uh, preach God's word or when any pastor preaches God's word, we're casting out seed and God will use it how he pleases. It's not my job to force it into action. It's God's job. Like Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. And that is the way it's supposed to be. So my friends, as we look at these things and the affairs in our church or the work that we have to do, we need to be careful that We do not give in, as these priests did, into a self-serving attitude. And the way we see that is it comes out of our lips. These priests were complaining. They were grumbling. Oh, i got to go do this again. And that is very easy to do. A fellow PCA chaplain I worked with named Bill Manning has often pointed out to me when I served with him at a church in Elizabethtown that eldership is a call to service. It is not a call just to position or lording it over to people. It is a call to service. And whether it be a position up front or a position in the church or a member of a church, we are all called to service. You know... We need to be really careful with that. I love being in the military. And for those of you who have been in the military, I think you can relate to what I'm about ready to say. Uh, people pride themselves on being in the military. But sometimes, uh, military folks can be some of the biggest complaining folks I've ever met in my life. And there's this sense of, look how hard I've got it. We need to watch out for that. We in the church can have that same attitude. I've had friends who have had pastors who people serve greatly, but they serve uh, with their hands, but their mouth is far from it. There's a constant complaining, a grumbling oh, I got to go do this. Christ calls us to service because he set the example for us in serving us, did he not? Remember what he did? On the night of His betrayal, He served the disciples. He washed their feet and showed them His acts of service. You know, another area where our society is struggling with this right now uh, comes out with events that happen in the affairs of life and the affairs of church. Church. Uh, I went to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Dr. Al Mohler is the president there. And he has a blog, and if you had not had a chance to read it, I would highly encourage you. It's one of the best blogs out on the internet. And a number of years ago, when I first preached this sermon at, in Elizabethtown, he had uh, this blog about the new family trump card, family time versus church time. He says this, in a survey of 490 pastors last year by Leadership Magazine asking them about the church life and family, a major theme was parents are taking their kids to soccer games rather than the church. Carol Welker, children's ministry pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, says the impact has been felt especially by weekday programs. We stopped doing Wednesday night programs a couple years ago after they just fell apart, she said. We did a survey to find out why families stopped coming, and several said that's the one and only night we have together as a family. The rest of the week, including Sunday morning, is booked with music lessons and sports events. We even hear pastors who must choose between preaching Sunday morning sermon and attending Junior's Little League playoffs game. Lay people are more regularly opting for non-church activities. In our survey, 83% of pastors said they are aware of the situations where people routinely choose family events over church commitments. The list of reasons people give for missing church events are kids' activities and weekend trips are cited most common. Grown-up sports such as fishing, football, and NASCAR are next followed by extended family gatherings and a child's illness. Are these valid reasons or just excuses? 22% of the pastors said mostly excuses. 13% said mostly valid. And 65% said some of both. Asked if family time, trumping church time is a bigger problem, 61% of pastors said yes. Only a third percent said church time was encroaching on family time for the church members. About a third, 36 percent, thought most church members have a good balance. Now this is a very important insight, writes Dr. Moeller. when, quote, church time is seen as a competitor to, quote, family time, something is wrong at church. When family members hardly see each other at church activities, the congregation needs to take a quick inventory of this concept in ministry and make changes. At the same time, though, when Christian parents take their kids to little league games rather than worship on the Lord's Day, these parents teach their children that team sports are more important than the worship of God. You see, Mueller says, every kid has a, quote, thing going on virtually all the time. That is the condition of life today, it seems. But when that, quote, thing keeps the child or the whole family away from church, we need to name that thing what it is, at best a snare, at worst an idol. When I was preaching this sermon the first time, Amber and I had just ran into a person we had talked to, and as the conversation went on, they told us how they had been going to a church where the preaching was fantastic, but they decided to change because the church they now go to was closer to home, and it allowed them to have a shorter drive time. You know, dear friends, uh, we need to look at this and evaluate our hearts. Because things, our society, is very much encroaching upon the church and especially the Lord's Day. I am not that young that many years ago, or not many years ago, it wasn't just a few years ago, nothing happened on Sunday morning sport events wise. Nothing happened Sunday afternoon sport events wise. Absolutely nothing. And now when we go by the parks and fields, we see soccer game after soccer game, softball game after softball game, and it's more than just the guys out on the golf course. Dear friends, we must keep the Lord's Day sacred and holy. It has been, uh, many theologians have said, once the Lord's Day worship falls, you can be assured Christianity will fall quickly thereafter. It is that sanctified time God has set apart for all of us to come together and worship. And I have no doubt that many of you all keep this day holy and use it as a means of worship. But I would encourage you in your positions of responsibility and leadership in the society and here in the Tucson community to speak up and say, we should not have baseball on Sunday. This is a day set aside for worship. And we must take those stands. Well, Malachi goes on to point out the various bad sacrifices of the people and the priests. And there's three different things he talks about in verse 13. And I want you to notice them. First of all, they offer stolen sacrifices. These were things that somehow people had taken, not earned, or overcharged. They were things that God knew that were not theirs in the first place. King David provides a statement inside of what the Lord wants. David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You see, dear friends, God sees what's going on with us. And in an increasing day where fraud is happening, we at the church need to realize that God has eyes on the very things we do on our computers, in our investments, whatever they may be, in our work practices. And He wants us To have a purity, a truthfulness about it, so that when we give those offerings to Him, they are acceptable in His sight. There is so much. The reason why I bring that up is there is so much white collar crime happening in America today that people want to just a, a slap on the wrist, or it's not really that bad. Or many people are doing it. God says, if you're bringing in those offerings, you are no guilty than these priests that are offering stolen sacrifices. He sees with such a pure eye. Next, he says in verse 13, you offer unworthy sacrifices. These sacrifices have the idea that an offering was given, not up to the standards of God. You may ask, we, we must ask the question then, why does God ask for a certain standard? And I believe it's simply this, He wants to be respected. If there is no standard, there is no level of respect. It is just that simple and God communicates that to us so that we might know his holiness so that we might fall upon Christ and and do what he calls us to do we may ask ourselves if we're continually grumbling does God hear the praise of our lips if we're continually lusting does God acknowledge our love for our spouse if we are continually coveting does God accept our gratitude you see all those things those those evil things have tentacles and they interweave, and we need to get rid of those tentacles, those weeds, so that when we give things to God in our sacrifice, whether it be our words or our actions or our time or our praise, it is honoring to God. You see, God wants worship that is not only here collectively in the body of Christ, but He wants it holistically. Remember that great passage from Romans 12? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, dear friends, God wants us to give our lives, our bodies, our souls to Him as a continual act of worship. And the problem which each of us, you and I both have, is as living sacrifices, we do not want to climb up on the altar. That is the oxymoron of a living sacrifice. Most sacrifices are dead. And so we must die to ourselves and give back to God our souls, our being, our jobs, our careers, our relationships to Him. A third thing that Malachi deals with is the act of giving deceitful sacrifices. He talks about how they've stolen things and giving them to others. And this totally rings of that story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember, don't you? Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last, and a great fear came upon all who heard it. You know, it's interesting to note that both here in Malachi and in Acts, deception is put forth. In bringing uh, uh, sacrifices or worship to God. And dear friends, don't miss it. God responded in both of those. He was not silent. And that is good for you and me to meditate on. Because what happened to the church, a great fear came upon all who heard it. And that fear, dear friends, is healthy. There needs to be a healthy respect in how we approach God and do our worship towards God. It is so tempting for all of us to profane it, to not give what He requires us. Because right now we live in a world where things are much more accepting than wasn't many years ago. Right now, dear friends, as you're reading in the news about this governor in South Carolina who had this affair... And the whole argument goes, well, this is personal, but it doesn't relate to His work. Well, yeah, it does. If you're going to be deceiving over here, what makes us think you're not going to be deceiving over there? It is just that simple. And so we need to give our worship to God in a pure standard because God sees with such a pure eye. Well, let's look at our fifth problem. The fifth problem the priests had was this. They forgot God's all-consuming purpose. And what is God's all-consuming purpose? It is the worship of Himself. Look at verse 14. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and My name will be feared among the nation." You see, as a great king, Malachi is reminding the priests how much more they would give better things to their governor. But now in verse 14, he reminds them again who this is that they are worshiping. This is the Lord of hosts. He is the leader of the army of God. He is indeed the great king. And he, not the governor, not their goals, not the applause of the people, is the one to be worshipped because he is the God-king king The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is like Melchizedek. You remember Melchizedek? He was the priest of Salem. And when Abram had went in and got back his brother Lot, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah came out to him, and Abram wouldn't give him a single honoring, anything. But when Melchizedek came out, who was both king and priest, he gave him a tithe, and that was to point to Christ. The writer of Hebrews tells us that he is both God and king. And when meeting him, Abraham offered him offerings, a tithe, so that he might worship God. Questions we need to ask ourselves, brother and sister in Christ, is how do we see Jesus? Is he king or just a friend? He is a friend, but he's also king. Right now... uh, I'm reading my kids' uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. If you've read The Chronicles of Narnia, there's great little scenes when the kids do something a little wrong. And they come up and then they have to meet Aslan. Aslan does usually a couple of things. Sometimes he looks at them, right Jude? Yeah. But if they're a little testy with Aslan, he starts to growl a little bit. And immediately the children are reminded that even though Aslan is good, he's a good lion, but he's not a tame lion. And those same reminders need to be said to us as people. God is good, but he's not tame. We don't have control over him. He has control over himself. And that reminds us of this worship that God wants from us, that He wants us to see Him as King and Lord. So questions to ask ourselves is when you are moved to worship, do you bend your knees to God? Does your body conform to an inward action that should be true? I realize sometimes that's not possible as, as... Knees have problems. My wife has knee problems and she can't bend her knees and get on her knees as much as she would like. But those are some of the things that as we read the Psalms, we see them prostrate themselves, raise their hands, do all kinds of things. And those are outward expressions to conform that heart. And it's also vice versa. It shows inward actions conforming the outward body to the worship of God. Oftentimes, when we fail to see the greatness and grandeur of God, we do not find our satisfaction in Him. One of my favorite pastors is a guy named John Piper, and in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he speaks this simple truth, and I'm sure some of you have heard it before. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Let me say that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And as I look at these priests, and as I look at these worshipers, I do not think they find their satisfaction in God. I think they were finding their satisfaction in other places. And thus, that's why they brought God their, the worst, the mangled, the unacceptable. Pastor Ray Clemden then says this, Their failure to respond to life's trials in wisdom and faith had led to a loss in the delight in the Lord that produces genuine worship basically I would say they developed an apathy towards God they sorta had gotten callous as we talked about and so as each of us goes through life life has different seasons just as we have different seasons in the year now I know there's not as many seasons here in Arizona there's hot and then there's okay but for those of us who come from other places in the 50 states, there are seasons. There's four of them usually. And those seasons pass. And there are times in our life that our heart can grow colder or become unmoved. And dear friends, we need to guard against that and watch for that cold heart. The great pastor G.K. Chesterton reminds us that the absence of praise reveals that a religion is more a theory than a love affair. If you're... Relationship with God is a love affair, it will protrude from your mouth. It will protrude from your actions. Everybody knows when someone's in love. It doesn't take a whole lot to notice that, does it? For those of us who have been married, we remember those days when we were first with our beloved, don't we? They could do no wrong, they were the beauty incarnate of everything we hoped and desired. And what happens over time is we sort of rub on each other. We see each other's sin. And sometimes through work or business, that can grow callous and grow cold. And the same is true of our worship with God. But dear friends, we must nurture that fire. As I told you, I grew up in Kentucky. And one of the things my dad had was a wood-burning stove. Now anybody can make a fire. The way we'd often do it is pour kindling, and tons of paper in there, and boom, it goes. But that was not a fire you want for a wood-burning stove. The fire you want is the one where the big logs are put on that, and they finally grow into these glowing embers. Now, there's not all the pizzazz that there was with the newspaper, but the heat is remarkably different. And as those kinders or timbers that my dad would instruct me on how to do that. And the same is true for our relationship with God, the same is true for our marriages, that if we do not work with them, if we do not do things to encourage them and improve upon them, they will grow cold, they will grow dim, and eventually they will go out. Most Christians do not just fall off, they sort of fade away. And we do not want to be like old soldiers that fade away. We want to be like saints that continue to glow, continue to burn deeply with that deep heat for the Lord. Newt Genrich, in his book Rediscovering God in America, said this, It is poignant that on the highest building in our nation's capital, the one that the sunlight hits the first as it rises the east, on that monument that was set up to honor our nation's first president, George Washington, are the Latin words, "Los Deo. And "Los Deo means simply, praise God. It is that simple. Our forefathers on this great experiment in America wanted to credit the very rights we possess as coming from the Almighty. And how much more should those words be uttered from our mouths when we have been freed from the tyranny of sin, the unpleasantries of the devil, and the harshness of our world through through Christ? Unless we miss it, God tells us that He is the great King, and His name will be feared among the nations. It is here in so many places that... In the Bible, that what we find and what God is looking for are worshipers, those who fear Him among the nations, because our God is expanding our church. He wants to spread it. And you may ask the question then, was missions the ultimate goal of the church? No, worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate and not missions, because God is ultimate and not man. You see, when this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. But worship will continue on. And what He is wanting from you and I and what He was wanting from these priests is to quit offering me these tainted things which are just mere lip service and give me the worship that I deserve as your God and King. Dear friends, as we go out, Our goal, as we support missionaries, as we talk to others, we do want to spread the knowledge of God. But we spread it so that it might create more worshipers for God. Because God is calling us to worship Him. So how do we grow in worship? Well, it's very simple. You grow in worship by worshiping. You grow in worship by worshiping. It happens here on Sunday mornings where we collectively come together. We sing hymns of praise. We confess. and acknowledge our sins. We partake of the Lord's Supper. We ask Him to do a fresh work in our souls. We pray together as a congregation. And we use this Lord's Day as a means of rest from our labors. We use it to strengthen our souls. But it must not just be confined there. It must continue throughout our whole life. Worship grows as we worship God. It's just that simple. And if you're struggling with your worship, and as a pastor I've been there, you must find time and make time to do worship. Perhaps there's a sin that's unconfessed that you need to uh, have God reveal to you. Please do so. Perhaps you need to talk to a, a friend or a brother or sister in Christ about an issue that's been deep on your heart and you haven't been able to talk to anyone about. Perhaps you need to go to them. Perhaps you need to confess your sin to one another. It's there the Bible tells us that we're healed. Perhaps you just need to spend the time in prayer and fasting and get alone with the Lord. Perhaps it is you just need some rest. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you're like Elijah. Maybe you've been doing a lot for God. And the best thing you need right now is rest and then to get up and hear what the Lord would have to say to you. All those things God does, but it's a willingness on our part to say, hey Lord, I'm here. Take me as I am, change me and mold me as you want me to be. That's the worshipers God wants. And as we do that, our worship will be pleasing through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, Malachi's words. Lord, uh, I, all of us struggle with this. We all fall short of this. Lord, I would ask that you would create in us uh, a pure desire of worship. Help us to cling to Christ because he is our righteousness and not we ourselves. Uh, Lord, please use us. Give us the rest we need. Guard us from temptation. And Lord, renew our minds by these eternal truths. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.